How do I sound, by the way? Like Barry White, all deep and silky. Like Barry White on helium. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 5 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our crew we have Joe Eames. Hey everybody. Lucas Rubelke. Word. John Papa. Hey everybody. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv and this week we're going to be talking about teaching Angular. I'm kind of curious what experience do you guys have in teaching Angular? John has none. I don't have any. I don't think Lucas has any either. I thought about it one time. <laughs> Most I gave up. Uh, I gave up because Angular was just too stubborn. I didn't want to learn anything. I wanted to teach it. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. That was clever. Very clever. Most of my experience teaching Angular has been, "Hey, let's pair on something." Oh, that was cool. I learned something. Hey, that was cool. You learned something. My experience is, uh, I run a user group in Phoenix, and so that's kind of where I started. Is uh, just getting really excited about something and then getting in front of the group and just sharing it. And then uh, from there, I've done a few workshops in the Valley. Now I do full-day workshops. I've done some for Egghead.io. I did front-end masters. So it seems uh, at this point, you know, any opportunity I have to get up and, and talk about Angular, I generally feel compelled to do so. Yeah, well, a lot of my experience has been uh, I've done a lot of Pluralsight stuff and some articles and conferences. I also do the, the corporate training side of things with Angular. My favorite thing to do teaching Angular, honestly, is to take teams who are new to it and are doing some other technology and kind of draw direct relations to what they're doing and how it works in Angular. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I've done, let's see, four Pluralsight courses now, working on my fifth. Done a lot of teaching and talking at conferences. I've also done some consulting, introducing teams to Angular, plus user group presentations. A buddy of mine learned a program, and so I taught him Angular while he was learning to program, and I've also done a lot of pairing and working with other people and teaching them to program at corporate jobs that I've had. Awesome. I think the thing that's right now that's going on with Angular, too, is that we're kind of at the, uh, even though it's been around for a couple of years, we're at that cusp where people are really coming in droves to Angular still, so there's a lot of demand for early beginner dumpstart content. Yeah, that's definitely true. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are talking about wanting more information about Angular, but the fact is the masses are still, there's still so many people that are new to Angular that still need a lot of basic information. And Angular changes a lot. So if people aren't writing new blog posts or giving new talks about the basics of Angular, there's a lot of people out there that are missing out on up-to-date information about the basics of Angular. And... One interesting thing that happened to me recently is um, I was doing a two-day training course, and the material that was written by John Lindquist and Joel Hooks was excellent. It was phenomenal. But when I got into this particular context and we started talking about Angular, is I realized that had I stuck to that course outline, I would have lost everybody in a half a day. And so what I had to do is kind of modulate to the crowd and really take the time to just focus on kind of the core concepts, what I consider to be kind of the 80-20 rule in Angular of just kind of the core components that you use over and over. And from there, really slow it down and make sure that people were writing code and understanding it and seeing it come to life. 
And at the end of two days, the lights went on for a lot of them, and I could see like they were finally starting to get traction. And that it was ultimately, I think, the most gratifying part about you know teaching any concept, but really modulating to where the audience was. It's going over the basics and taking the time to do so. So, Lucas, you said you said a couple things that are really awesome in there. I think, and worth clarifying too is. One, if for the uneducated in Angular, that may come off as sounding like, hey, you know, Angular's too hard for people to get into, but that's not what I think you meant either. Not at I all. Think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's more of that, I think a lot of us have been using Angular so long and we know it so deeply. I mean, imagine, when, once you're an expert at something, we have an inherent problem, an impediment to teaching it. And that problem is that once you learn something and are an expert at it, you no longer remember what it was like when you didn't know that thing. So you have to kind of try to go back and empathize with what it was like before so you can teach it again. And that's a core problem all teachers have. And in Angular, some of the worst posts out there, quite frankly, about getting started in Angular are the ones that skip past all the basics. I mean, what is it? I just like, you got to teach them that thing. Exactly. Yeah, very good point. And that's a common thing with teaching anything, you know, once you get into it, it's just not realizing how many assumptions that you make. And so with Angular, that's, Definitely one of those things, talking about mixing an Angular into the HTML and what that means, and just not having the assumption that people already understand how directives work and how these attributes that you mix into your HTML are going to affect what's going on. Yeah, and even though you start off writing code that's kind of overly simplistic, when you when I teach this, I do. I do it step by step to kind of bring them line by line from we're learning it, and eventually we're going to evolve it into a better coding practice. But first, let's learn what it does and why it does it. And I actually try to start with something like a jQuery-based application to show them, here's how you did it there. Let's start using Angular and see how, how we can convert so they can make a like-for-like. Like. Yeah, that's awesome. And even for me, a lot of times when I start teaching Angular, is I'll start out just usually just write in the HTML with the, you know, bootstrap the app, then an ng-init, just kind of show the binding, like right out of the gates. But, you know, the first cut of whatever I'm teaching will be just, everything will be in a, just a single JavaScript file. And actually, I believe it helps people visualize and see kind of the big picture when they can look and see 100 lines of code that consist of, you know, a controller service, maybe a directive. But just kind of starting out really simple and just iterating over that and allowing people to just build on it and start to kind of visually see those patterns because our brains are wired for pattern recognition. And so, you know, I would never write an entire Angular application and put everything into a single JavaScript file. But to start out and kind of seeing it all together in one place. And then from there, that sets the stage for the next conversation of, okay, well, here's how we break this out and turn this into something that can scale. But right from the beginning, one JavaScript file, one HTML file, you can literally build an entire functional application that way. Yeah, and I think the, the key there is, you know, how you teach it and how you actually write it. You have to make it clear to the audience that, look, I'm doing this to teach you this. And I always have a rule. I never tell them what I'm not going to do. I always tell them what I'm going to do. You know, don't tell them, look, I would never do it like this in real life. But what you tell them instead is, we're doing it this way because we're showing you step-by-step step how to get there. Because the minute you tell them the negative of what you're doing, I, a lot of, I find a lot of the audience kind of turns off and goes, well, I don't have to pay attention to this. Pro tip. <laughs> that was yeah. good. Actually, I'm taking that one and writing it down. Right. I, I'm yeah, kind of curious. Joe mentioned that he had taught somebody who was learning to program how to program in Angular. So I'm kind of curious, you know, do you teach many people who don't have a lot of programming experience? I have had the privilege of doing that. Is there a certain base level of skill or certain things that they need to understand before you can really get them going? I 
think you have to understand like what variables, methods, and kind of the basic control structures are Mm -hmm. um, to get started. So, you know, what's a, you know, how do you write a method? How do you do like, you know, if, else, um, you know, kind of a for loop, how to iterate over structures. And honestly, if somebody understands that, and more importantly, if, you know, they understand how to, like, the IDE works or, you know, how to actually write a file and get it to load in the browser, um, that's usually the only foothold that I need to start making progress. I find the people I have the hardest time teaching, honestly, are the ones who know jQuery really, really well. The people who've got, like, Backbone or, or Knockout or Ember, those kind of experience, they kind of grasp boxes like for like. Uh, the people who've got like ASP.NET or JSP or Spring experience, they can kind of gravitate too. But the ones who are writing a lot of jQuery, like tons of jQuery in their apps, they're the ones that I find it's almost you have to, and I was one of those, like, you have to unlearn some things first to learn, okay, it's not that jQuery is bad, it's just it does it differently. And you can't mm-hmm. take it exactly one for one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm in the process of teaching my daughter how to program at all. and I'm using Angular to do that, and it's pretty early in the process. I don't necessarily know that I have much in the way of to report in that matter, but one of the things that I did learn right off the bat was to use Plunker when teaching our Angular so that she doesn't have to spend time worrying about organizing files and keeping track of files and different things like that. Just get on Plunker. It's one step to add Angular to a project with Plunker. You can even create templates in Plunker if you want, but then... You can have somebody up and running with a little Angular app. And like Lucas said, that whole single script file is a great way to go so they can see all the different pieces all there together for simple Angular applications rather than trying to go back and forth between a bunch of different files. And Plunker's great at that. It also lets you use separate files if you need to, but you can stick all of your Angular code in one script file and then have all of your HTML in one file, and it's very simple to look at and understand. That's a great tip, Joe. I think I think Plunker and JSP and JS Fiddle, all those sites are, are wonderful for teaching. Absolutely. And not only that, is you can actually version one is you can share your plunks, but then you can actually version them as well. And so that's really handy to share it, you know, get an iteration, somebody sends it back, you can even fork it, or it really even sets the stage for just kind of collaborating across, you know, kind of virtual relationships of, hey, I sent this to my friend or I put this out into a blog post and then all of a sudden somebody forks it and actually improves upon it and then you learn something. So it's kind of creating those interesting uh, kind of feedback loops. Right, and if you're working with somebody, one maybe one-on-one-ish that just has questions then they can use one of these tools send you over what they have with the question, you can fix it and get back to it. It doesn't have to be a synchronous activity you don't have to be on the phone or sitting next to each other. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of course, if you are going to teach somebody one-on-one, by far the best way to do it is to pair program. There's oh, just totally. no replacement for that. And that's true, of course, with anything. There's well, just no re- nothing better. And, and even, you know, as I said before, I mean, I've been in the position where, you know, I was trying to learn something or we were talking about something that, you know, neither of us really understood. And it's just nice to have another brain sitting next to mine that's, you know, working through the same problem and, you know, we can discuss it verbally and, you know, just kind of figure it out. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be in person, though you do get better communication, in my opinion. But overall, you know, just doing it online with with somebody who may have a little bit different experience than yours. And I think that it's important to have what, you know, it's considered kind of a white belt mentality. I heard this phrase uh, the other day where, you know, even though you may be an expert, 
is to realize that even though you are in a teaching position, is that you still have an opportunity to learn. And ultimately, you are still the student to where I've sat with very experienced programs, even actually not some. Uh, for instance, let me give you an example. Jeff Goodman, who wrote Clunker, is actually not a programmer by trade. And so kind of coming from a place where there's no context, he does some really interesting things that I would have never thought. And so that is, for me, the beauty of pair programming, is that when you have an open mind and you are ready to learn, even though you're there to teach, is it's really amazing what you can pick up just because there's so many permutations of ways to accomplish things. And so I would say, if you want to be an effective teacher, have kind of that student mindset and look for opportunities to learn yourself. So one question I have for you, Lucas, is when you're teaching somebody, what order of concepts do you cover with them? And what do you tell them about the different pieces? So I have you know, kind of this 80-20 rule. I'll send a graphic out. It's just a diagram that I've used. But I'll start with actually just using ng-app to, to bootstrap the application and using ng-init and then just the double curly braces just to show that, okay, we have this double curly brace. It renders as a string in the browser. And then when I add ng-app, then it actually turns into something. And then from there, I will usually introduce just a module as the container to kind of put my stuff and then start with the controller. And then once whoever I'm, I'm working with understands that if I put a method or a property in the controller, it's available in the view and they understand that relationship and really spend an extra few minutes explaining that you want to pull the state out of the DOM and keep it in the controller, which is you know, that view model pattern, which is really important and I think hard for jQuery developers to, to kind of wrap their mind around. But once they do, it's extremely powerful. And at that point, once somebody understands, okay, I have a module, a view, and a controller, everything from there, in my opinion, is an extension. That a service is an extension of a controller, and a directive is an extension of a view, and um, everything else is kind of a specialized version of that. Yeah, and, and I like to, you know, I have uh, shown some people the basics. I'm not as expert as you guys are at Angular, but, you know, I have shown some people some basic stuff, and basically I just start with HTML and then just enhance it. So you get this, and then if you use this directive, then it does this to it, you know, and watch their eyes kind of, oh. So that's interesting. Lucas, you start off with bindings even before you start talking about controllers then, right? Only very quickly, because I think that is really kind of, I don't think it's the most crucial part of Angular, but it's definitely, I think, it's one of the most impressive parts is, you know, having that, that two-way data binding. And so that's where I start just to say, you know, here, to prove it's in the pudding, we have an Angular app. You can see the binding working. And you can do that with ng-init, which is, you know, I think it has limited usefulness, but to just spin something up, to get something up, cause an effect in 30 seconds, I think it's a great way to, to show them, like, hey, this thing's alive. Well, that's really interesting, because I, I think I generally kind of take that sort of thing for granted, and so I just kind of gloss over it. Yeah, me too. And I would have never thought to do it that way, except I was doing a workshop with Matias Namilla, and that's actually how he started out, by showing, using ng-init, is he went through a fairly elaborate example, and that was one of the situations where it's like, I would have never thought to do that, but awesome, and I'm going to work that into my toolbox. For example, how quickly do you introduce, like, two-way bindings? Usually, um, once kind of the view and the controller is in place, and um, so to, I'll start out with, like, ng-click, 
to say, hey, like, view issues a command back to the controller. And that's really only kind of, you know, a lot of times we say two-way data binding, but really it's most times with the double curly brace, it's just a one-way data binding. But then from there is I'll work in kind of a form and using ng-model, then I'll hit that up. So actually, that's not true. So in an ng-init, a lot of times is I'll say, okay, here's the binding. Now let's put an input form in. And so I'll just create an input control and use ng-model. So actually within the first 60 seconds is I'm introducing that. But then to actually do something substantial with the controller is, you know, within, you know, 30, 60 minutes is I'm introducing how to actually take input from a form and push it into the controller. And how soon do you introduce uh, custom directives? When it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I think custom directives are one of those things that you can get really far in angle with that I know about. Right. So for me, beginners, I don't usually touch those at all. So here's another question. What concepts in Angular do you think are counterintuitive that have to be really laid out and explained? And for, I guess as a similar point, what concepts might be things that for those who already have some programming experience, like you talked about the jQuery mindset uh, previously, what concepts are things that people have to be explicitly told? This is really different in Angular. I think you can go down a rabbit hole with directives and do some really kind of weird things. But even then, as I think directives as a whole, is there's kind of this simplified worldview that once you understand, you know, this is what a link function does, this is what a controller does, you know, this is what, you know, how you said it is like an element or an attribute. And so if you build a strong foundation, then I think it's a little bit easier. But I've seen people jump into the deep end with directives especially and do some really kind of unconventional things and get themselves painted in a corner. And so that is one of those things, with directives especially, that they're super powerful, but they can be really confusing. And so start with the foundation and then build on top of that. Yeah, I think directives are, are, are one of those black walls where they're, they're powerful, but in understanding not only what they can do, but when you should use one versus using another alternate option as well. Like uh, using an ng-include in some cases, or just doing a straight-up view. Are there any other concepts you guys find you have to explicitly tell people that, hey, this is how Angular works, and this is going to be a lot different than what you might have experience with in other languages? The digest cycle. Yes, Sooner or later, absolutely. I have to get into that. And you don't have to understand the digest cycle. Um, it's actually like digestion. You don't have to understand it to appreciate food, but eventually it is helpful to know kind of how that's working. And so usually within the first couple hours, I'll say, look, you don't have to completely understand this, but it's not magic. You could actually program this yourself if you were so inclined, and this is what's happening. So you, yeah. you, with, with digest cycle, do you also mean explaining dirty checking? or Yes, so the, the, the invalidation validation cycle, which being a Flex developer, it was made perfect sense to me and why I liked Angular, because I understood that process, but somebody who is not familiar with kind of an invalidation validation cycle, is it does appear a bit magical, and I hear that quite a bit. And so you know, just explaining, taking the time to actually explain that, it is actually a logical thing that's happening under the hood. Well, the first danger they fall into when you when you talk about digest cycle is, well, it's just magical. If they go ahead and they take your advice and they say, I just accept that it works, then they do something like, hey, I'm going to use jQuery to make uh, Ajax call and go get some data. Uh-oh, wait a minute, my data's not showing up on the screen. Or some one of those situations where the digest cycle is doing something that they're not aware of. So that's a hurdle I often run into with them. Yeah, I would say for me, the one one of the things that I commonly point out is when you stay in Angular, everything's great. The minute you leave Angular, then you have to understand how to 
put your digest cycle back in and start it back up. And so if things aren't binding, then you've probably left Angular land and you need to come back. You need to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's, and it's not that, you know, Angular doesn't work with other things because that's how people sometimes take that. It's, it's that if you're going to leave the way Angular is doing some of the things it does, you're, then you're going to have to start getting into how the digest cycle works so you can actually, you know, call and apply if you need to. Right. So what about counterintuitive concepts? Are there anything that by, jumps out to you? What do you mean by counterintuitive? Well, counterintuitive meaning if you look at something from the surface, it seems to work that way, but a reality works an entirely different way. And if they don't understand that, then they're going to have a hard time. So I will say the one thing that even trips me up sometimes is because in the DOM is that ultimately it's very clever kind of string interpolation is that there are times, so for instance, like with ng-include, that you have, you know, your double quotes, but then you have to actually put like a single quote in there. And so there are some kind of conventions that if you're not aware of, like they just will not work. So how about you, John? Anything come to mind for anything counterintuitive? That is definitely one of the things that hits me up a lot is the uh, double quotes with the single quotes embedded in ng-include. I'll hit that myself. Another thing I get sometimes is when I'm inside of a controller, and I'm trying to access something that's on the scope. And sometimes I forget, you know, to inject the right services up at the top. So the whole dependency injection side of things, you know, I've, I've got my own styles for how do I avoid these kind of issues. But, you know, making sure if I don't have a service that I've got to go inject, it's, it's just becomes a problem sometimes. I run my code I'm like, oh, I forgot to inject that thing. Because the error message is usually something extremely obtuse. Like, hey, you forgot to inject something somewhere, but I'm not going to tell you where that is. Oh, I'm so glad it's not just me. <laughs> oh, I got one yesterday. It said, hey, you haven't injected ng-locale. I'm like, I'm not trying to use ng-locale. <laughs> so why are you telling me that? Yeah, then the errors. Yeah, I, you see the errors. It's like, whoa, whoa, what? Any other concepts that you guys feel like you always try to make a mental note to cover and talk about something when teaching somebody Angular? Routing. I always try to teach ng-route right out of the box. While UI route is awesome, and arguably we can talk about that as a whole show, but that one versus ng-route. I think the concept of client-side routing is hugely important, and not everybody gets that because a lot of times people are trying to make the leap from, well, wait a minute, is this going to do a post-back? How does the client know? And then how does this relate to server-side routing where I do MVC there? I think routing is one that I try to bring up right out of the gates as well. And so I think kind of understanding that I actually did a post a while back ago about how to build a simple web page using ng-route, and um, it, it's actually been a very popular blog post, to my surprise, because I think when people see, like, oh, I can do this large unit of work very simply using ng-route, um, it kind of helps them, I think, make the leap from something that's theoretical to something that they can actually use. And so I completely agree. You know, for me, I think the one thing that I always try to remember to explain to somebody is that Angular is stateful and declarative and not imperative and not to be get into the mindset of, okay, I need to do something. I need to make like a change visually to the page. So I need to call some function and make that happen. But instead to set everything up based on state so that when you change a variable, then state changes, right? One of the things that I find people frequently do is they'll set up their login such that it'll do a big, huge post back and come to an entirely new page when you really don't need that because they're so used to in other places where, hey, if I'm not logged in and I want to set go to logged in, I've got to change so many things. It's just so much worth it, so much easier to just post back and come to a brand new page. When in Angular, because everything's stateful, the minute I set a logged in flag, then I can have everything on the page change. So 
That's one of those things that I tell people, unless there's a real reason for that or something similar, just rely on the fact that, hey, once you've changed one variable, then everything could be different, and it's easy to set that up. And to piggyback on that, I think that's a great point, is a lot of times I will talk about separating you know, your declarative markup and what that is good for. So I think Angular really excels in extending HTML and trying not to destroy it or do away with it and separating your declarative markup from your imperative logic. Why those need to be separated, and especially for new people in Angular, is how to separate your state out of your DOM and kind of drawing that line there. And once people get that, it really sets the stage for just seeing the view as just being a reflection of your controller or your view model. And it makes it a lot easier to start to build on the more advanced concepts. Right. So what about teaching people um, services? Is there anything you guys specifically like to talk about when talking about uh, services and how quickly do you introduce, you know, building your own services in Angular? I do it relatively soon, actually. So, you know, I kind of like Lucas was saying, I start off with a single page and teach people what's there and build up the app. But it becomes, I like people to stumble across the problem. So it becomes very apparent early on when you're developing an app that says, I've got code here that I could reuse in multiple places, and it really doesn't belong here. Uh, for example, data access with dollars and HTTP. So I start off making a couple calls. I have two screens that are using it. Well, why am I copying and pasting? And that's when I say, all right, let's put this in a place that just reuses it. And by the way, you just created a factory. And that's what that's for. Uh, so I kind of, I kind of reverse teach in that sense. And another good way to introduce services is one is like, here's this code that we need to reuse. And so from the onset, you say, Hey, these controllers should not talk to each other. And so when you set that constraint, it's very quickly, it's like, well, how do, like, how do they share functionality or how do they talk to each other? So I'll usually extract out a method into a service and make it available. And then I'll use that as well as a platform to get into kind of like Angular venting with, you know, broadcast and on. And so that's another one is um, you know, how to actually, you know, communicate across controllers using services in a vent bus. But that usually comes up very quickly. It becomes very apparent within our first few iterations that there needs to be some way to extend the controllers to do more across the application. Right. So those are really interesting ideas. I think I take a slightly different approach when I teach people, which is only minorly different, but I kind of like to talk to people about, hey, the controller is only for moderating or mediating between the view and the model. So don't put business logic in the code. There's a place for that, and I relate services to just your typical classes in most other languages. These are classes. They should follow the solid principles. They should be reusable. They should be cohesive. And this is where you do all of your main coding. So I like to talk about those types of things when talking about services. So I probably don't wait for a need for the service, but throw it in right at the beginning of services are where you put the meat of your code, and controllers are simply where you mediate. I really like that because the overall separation of concerns makes it a lot easier to reason about your application. And with a lot of these applications and a lot of the problems that we're trying to solve, thinking about the code is the hardest part. And so right. if you can teach people how to organize their thinking so that it's easy to go back through it and figure out what you did. Because I have to say that the number one consumer of my code is usually me. And I don't always remember what I did. It just makes a lot of sense. And then if somebody else comes in, they can figure out pretty quickly what your thought process is and where you put things. I will yeah. say that that tactic works a lot better with people who have at least a reasonable amount of coding experience. For new people, then that's a harder concept to relate. 
Yeah, but that's because they're struggling to grasp other concepts. And so they just want to stack it all up and just be able to see it, run through it, and go, okay, that's what it does. So it's much more of a procedural thing, I found, for a lot of new right. developers. Sorry, I think, sorry you know, when you you've got... Yeah, no worries, Joe. I, I think when uh, when I've taught some folks, I try to gauge in the beginning to see where they come from. So some of the folks I've taught have come from a world where everything was in one large file or class, you know, 4,000 lines long. And when I teach those kind of people stuff with Angular and I get to services and factories and the concept I call raviolis, which is small encapsulated code for single responsibility. Pro tip. I need to put that on a soundboard. <laughs> Pro tip. <laughs> so what I try to do there is say, oh, look, you know, they're not going to grasp the concept of factories and services right away or the value in it. So you have to let them. That's why I do that trick of letting them discover it on their own. When you come from people who are already familiar with that, you know, you can jump into that a little bit earlier, but that's where I, I also have an example where I show what I, you know, the spaghetti code model where I have, actually, it's hard for me to write this. I have a really large controller that's got about 800 lines of code in it that does everything. And then I've got it broken out into, you know, all the different pieces where everything's, you know, 50 to 80 lines of code each in a, in a file or component to show them side by side of why this is better than doing the 800 lines of behemoth of code. And how hard it is to unit test and how hard it is to maintain and just to find your own code in there. Because uh, just telling somebody spaghetti versus ravioli is, is one thing, but showing them that mess is, uh, is a whole other story. Yep. All right. Well, I hate to wrap up the conversation, but we're at the end of our time and we need to do picks. I know that some folks have some hard stops here coming up. So uh, let's go ahead and do the picks. Joe, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I picked this on uh, JavaScript Jabber, so for those who might have listened to JavaScript Jabber, which probably came out a day or two ago, this will be a little bit redundant, but I read a book called Forging Zero, which is a super, super low cost, like $2 on the Amazon Kindle store. It's a kind of a, one of those self-published novels, and it's a sci-fi war novel, and just absolutely amazing. Just loved it. I couldn't get enough of it, couldn't put it down. I was on a road trip and begged my wife to drive so I could read. Absolutely loved it. One of my favorite books that I've read this year. New favorite author. So I'm going to pick that as one of my picks. Then my second and final pick, since we're talking about learning Angular, it would be obviously completely appropriate to talk about Pluralsight. And specifically, I want to pick Scott Allen's course on Get Started with Angular, which is a great introduction for people who don't have really much in the way of web experience. Because it introduces Angular using Plunker, which means you don't have to do any setup. And it's a great way to give somebody a very gentle introduction to Angular. For those who have more experience doing web, if they've done, you know, reasonable amounts of JavaScript and stuff, they might find the pace to be a little bit slow, which there's other courses. That's a great thing about Pluralsight is there's around 20 courses on Angular at Pluralsight. So well worth the 30 bucks a month. Very nice. John, what are your picks? Yeah, so I think I'll stay with the theme that Joe's got there of learning Angular. And on the Pluralsight side, yeah, there's a lot of great courses. Joe's got one himself as well. And then Scott's is really good too. But the nice thing there, again, is you can always fast forward and super speed. So I definitely would check out those libraries and see where you go. And then you've also got the Egghead IO videos, which we've kind of indirectly referred to uh, from John Lindquist and Joel Hooks. Those are nice little five-minute or less videos that are online that you can learn these things from. One thing that I've done too for my, my second pick on there I've put in is uh, – I created a package called Hot Towel because you can't go to a spot without a towel. And this package is a jumpstart to creating your first Angular application. And it, it's a, there's a NuGet package for .NET, and there's a Yeoman generator that I actually am going to be releasing later today. 
uh, to basically just jump out there and give you the beginning steps to an Angular application. And that removes that friction of, oh, i got to set up the CSS and create a menu and create a content area and pull in the right libraries. So I use that a lot. It's been pretty uh, popular for people just to kind of use it for a learning tool. Well, that sounds totally awesome. And if you know if you are brand new to uh, single-page applications and Angular is your first intro, then, John, your course on single-page applications is actually really awesome for that. Thanks, man. All right, Lucas, what are your picks? I've really been digging on WebStorm. I use it a lot, and it's just amazing how I'm always learning like new things, new ways to integrate it into my workflow. So I, I was doing some Karma stuff the other day, and it was super seamless and easy, as well as uh, the live templates. I've been reading the book uh, Freestyle by Carl Paoli, and I love kind of these definitive ideas. And so the tagline on it is maximize sport and life performance with four basic movements. And so he just essentially talks about these four kind of movements that you can work on to just be a better athlete. And then one last one real quick is I've been reading or listening to The Magician's Trilogy by Alep Grossman, and it is hilarious and awesome. Um, he's such an incredible writer. He makes me laugh all the time. It's just a really good kind of fantasy, uh, sci-fi, uh, epic, sweeping saga of sorts. And so I, I really recommend The Magician's Trilogy. You guys are reading quite a bit. I feel like I'm kind of dumb over here. <laughs> <laughs> I got four kids, though, so maybe that's why I don't read as much. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I have four kids, and the only way I get the reading done is by uh, audiobooks. Plus one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I mean, I'm in the car. You know, I, I listened to a whole bunch of audiobooks while I was gone. I guess it's my turn for picks. I spent this last weekend in Dallas at Podcast Movement, which is a conference for podcasters. And it was, it was so, so, so good. And I'll probably pick some stuff for the conference. I'm still kind of going back through all the notes and everything that I have from it. But while I was there, I actually listened to, uh, you know, on the plane and stuff, I listened to a couple of books. The first one is My Story. It's by Elizabeth Smart. And this is just kind of a general, it's a very interesting and true story. Um, Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped when she was 14 from Salt Lake City. And she was found nine months later with her kidnappers. And it just talks about the kind of the crazy stuff that she went through. Just really, really amazing. Another book that I'm listening to, if you have your own business or if you just feel like you're overly busy, um, I've been listening to Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker. And he actually has a podcast out there, too, where he talks about new businesses. I think it's the New Business Podcast, actually. But anyway, Virtual Freedom talks about hiring virtual assistants and freelancers to help you get your work done. If you need a freelancer, I'm available, by the way. And uh, anyway, it, it just awesome book. And then last week, we talked to Daniel Pink, who is the author of To Sell is Human. And if you have this aversion to sales or you have this idea that sales is this evil profession or something, you really ought to go read that book. Because the whole idea behind selling really is to share an idea and exchange value. And that's something that we all do all the time, you know, whether we're serving people or whether we're actually helping them find what they need, you know, for a price that they're willing to pay. And so anyway, I really, really enjoyed the book and talking to Dan was just terrific. So I'm going to pick that as well as the freelancer show. As of this recording, it comes out tomorrow, which means that when you hear this, it'll already be out. It'll be the last uh, Freelancer Show episode. So, uh, yeah, those are my picks. And, yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Good talk. We should yeah. do it again sometime. Yeah. Totally soon. We should just make it a regular thing. Once a week, maybe. Done. Awesome. So, pro tip. Working and learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. 
You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.